a quitter or a finisher. When it's bigger than yourself, what's it going to take? It takes determination, perseverance, digging in deep, day in and day out. It takes a tribe. It takes hope and working the plan. Because anyone can start, but few finish well. Do you have what it takes? Hey, Mountain, how we doing? Can we just say hello and welcome everybody at all the other campuses so everybody can say hi? <laughs> Friends at Mountain at Bel Air, Mountain at Edgewood, Mountain at Abingdon, Mountain at Mountain Road, Mountain Online. We got Carrie and uh, Neil and Jamie and Tisha joining us online, a bunch of others. Glad you're with us today. Hey, so before we jump in, I wanted to say, you've already heard it, I want to say it loud and clear. Next week, we begin at the movies, and I'm so stoked. We've been, we've been working on this since May, and it's coming together really, really well. Um, I think it's our strongest we've ever done. And I, I just want to urge you to be here. Uh, I think it's important messages and strong. It's going to be great. And you can't, we can't post these online. So you've got to be here to be able to get them. And uh, so hope you can make it. But I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think this week and let God put on your heart somebody specific who does not have a church home, who's not walking with God right now. And I want to ask you to invite them and say, just say, you know, we got this thing going on at our church. It's kind of interesting. It's called At the Movies. I think you'll find it interesting. Come on and join me. Give them a card, you know, text them the link, uh, whatever you need to do. Uh, the only regret you'll have is if you don't invite someone. So get them here next week and we'll jump in. So today we finish up this series uh, on grit. Have you been appreciating this thing on grit uh, from Second Timothy? I hope so. Um, one of, the, one of the sources, I don't even care if you're not an athlete, I'm telling you, the world of sports provides some of the most powerful and inspirational examples of grit. I mean, I, I, I think of when I was a kid, uh, I, I grew up watching Muhammad Ali box. He was known as the greatest, right? Fl- uh, was it floats like a butterfly, stings like a bee, right? But when he went up against, in the mid-70s, he went up against Ken Norton. Some of you old-timers remember this one? He went up against Ken Norton, and Ken Norton landed a blow and broke Ali's jaw. And he's staggering around. He's obviously in pain. Here's the deal. He went 10 more rounds with a broken jaw and finished that bout. That's incredible to me. Now, he lost that match, but he came back and eventually regained the title. That's grit. When you get knocked down, you get back up again. That's right. That, 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 that's, that's where this guy comes in. I mean, look at, look at this guy. This is you. Minus the abs. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> yeah, this is you because all of us know what it's like to be in the ring and to have life deliver a blow. We know what it's like to, to take, you know, have circumstances and problems and stuff that come at us that, that it's a blow. But just imagine if, if this is what happened. You, you take a blow and you're back. Isn't that awesome? That's grit. And that's why the world of sports is so powerful. Like, remember Michael Jordan, 1997 NBA Finals, Game 5. He's sicker than a dog, completely dehydrated, sweating profusely. He's got the flu, can barely move. He should be at home with soup. 
Instead, he puts on his jersey, gets out on the floor, and scores 38 points, including the game-winning basket at the buzzer. Come on, Michael Jordan, he's down. No, he's not, because he's got what? Grit. Come on, this is a great example. A lot better than you guys think it is. Come on, give me some stuff here. How about Carrie Strug, 1996, Olympics. Remember her? She was the darling of America, the little gymnast, and, and then comes down to the the end, and I don't know, we're behind, and then she sprains her ankle really bad. We're like, oh no, but they tape it up, and she sucks it up, and she sprints down that aisle, and vaults off of that vault, and she's sailing through the air, and the whole world held their breath, and she lands it on one foot, sticks the landing, and gets a high score. We win the gold medal. She's down with a bad ankle. No, she's not. She's got what? Great, because when you fall down, you... Come on, we love those stories. We love those stories of people who can persevere through pain. Or when you see someone endure in a difficult circumstance, it inspires us. So the question is, how do we, how do we get grit like that? You know, is grit, is grit just for celebrity athletes when the cameras are rolling? The adrenaline's pumping and the crowd is roaring? Or is there such a thing as this grit idea we're talking about? For people like you and me, ordinary people, not in the middle of some game that's televised, but in the grind of everyday life. Because it's true, isn't it, that we all take some blows. Everybody, everybody takes some blows in life. Like, for example, just this week, you know, a bunch of kids started school, right? Some of you are pretty excited about that, I'll bet. Parents are excited. From kindergarten to college, we started school, and for some of you, it probably was awesome, but for some of you, there were probably some blows. You know, you got there, and that person that's special to you, that was your best friend last year, all of a sudden, then acts like you don't even exist, right? Or you get, you realize this is going to be a lot harder than I thought. I don't know if I'm up to it, or I'm not sure I'm going to make the team, or, you know, something goes bad in the cafeteria, or maybe some serious bullying going on. So there's some serious stuff. I had a friend named Charlie said this week his boss called him in. At the end of that meeting, he didn't have a job. Laid off, just like that. And life has blows, doesn't it? You're doing all you can, but the bills keep piling up. You made some mistakes in the past, and you thought it was past you, but the consequences keep coming around. I had a friend say that just recently, his wife said, I want to sit down and talk with you. And she says, I don't love you. I'm not sure I ever did. And she's gone just like that. Boom, right out of there. She's gone. I wonder what kind of blows you're experiencing these days. You know, what kind of body shots, face shots are you taking? The kind that make you not want to be able to get back up again. Because it's not always so easy to be like this guy, is it? Just sort of pop back up. What we have found in recent weeks is a treasure trove, a gold mine of grit. Tucked away in the back of our Bibles, it's a letter written by an old man, Paul, inspired by God, to a young man named Timothy, and it reads like a living grit document for us today. And in it, you know, he's, he's talking to a young Timothy who's in over his head and 
has been handed the baton of leadership to a church that's divided and doctrinally confused and dysfunctional. And he's like, Timothy, he's, he's like in over his head. He, first of all, he's young. Boom, there's a blow. He's also sickly. His stomach's not good. There's a blow. He's also, you know, in addition to his inexperience, he's got a timidity kind of shyness to him. Boom, he's got all these blows. And Paul is old and about to die. And he can't really help. And his message to Timothy from prison on death row is, Timothy, do not quit. Find your grit. Do not quit. Find your grit. So each week we've been looking at how that message lives for us. And we've been pulling out from this book, Second Timothy, um, different keys to help us find our own grit. We've kind of gone through them week by week, right? So a quick reminder of what we did. We started week one and we just said, um, you know, one of, the, one of the keys to grit, the Bible says, is good and godly friends. Got to have those good and godly friends around you because show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? And then we said it's also another key is God's spirit. God's spirit because your spirit and my spirit might be a spirit of timidity or stupidity or something else but God's spirit in us is a spirit of power and love and self-discipline and that gives us grit that we don't have on our own we talked about the importance of God's word to guard it and to hold it and hide it in our hearts because if you want to get grit in your gut you got to get God's word in your heart last week Kirk talked about the importance of godly heroes because who you look up to determines how high you go in life and today I want to talk about one more kind of key ingredient for grit. And if the example of Jesus and countless Christians through the centuries is any indication, it's the most important ingredient. And the one that will make the biggest difference for you and me when we get knocked down and we need to find some grit to get back up again. I want to talk to you today about God's plan. God's plan. Here's the, here's the gist of it, the principle. And that is that the thing that fuels grit is hope. Hope. Hope in something for the future is what gives you grit today. And this is the message all through the Bible. You want to pop back up again, you've got to have the air of hope inside of you. Hope is everything. Viktor Frankl survived, you know, Nazi Holocaust. One of the survivors watched people around him die right and left. At the end, he wrote some things and they asked him some things. And here's what he said. The difference between those who made it and those who did not. Hope. Hope. You got something to live for. You got a why. You got a purpose. You got a future. Then you can make it through however awful it is at the time. And that's what Paul had when he sits in a prison cell with an executioner's sword raised over his head. He's not scared. He, he, he's not. Because when he, when he got locked up, hope didn't get locked up. See, hope is still there and free. He's got hope beyond that cell. He's got hope beyond this life. He's got hope beyond the grave. His hope is in Christ alone. And when your hope when your hope is in Christ alone, then nothing this world can do to you can knock you down and keep you there because hope is the ultimate fuel of grit. And it turns out that's something that Christianity does pretty well is offer hope. 
And the beautiful good news, we call that the gospel, the good news message of Jesus is what Paul knew in his heart, and I hope you know it, because there's a lot of people who wear the name Christian in this country who don't know it. And I hope you know it, and that is that because of Jesus and what he accomplished over sin and death, we know that this life is not all there is, and no matter how hard it gets, no matter what happens, (laughs) don't you do that to me, take you down, it doesn't matter. We have a hope that says nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And get this, not even death. It's like, whoop, 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 slow down, whoop. What'd you just say? Let's talk about this because this is what Paul wants us to get today. Not even death. Are you serious about this? Right? So you know that if you go into the scriptures, ever since the rebellion and the sin problem, like on page three of your Bible, like the destiny of every human being, you know what it is? Death. It is appointed for every single person to live and then to die and face the judgment. And if you don't believe the Bible, turns out statistics is backing this up pretty well because roughly one out of every one human being dies. Okay? That's what happens. Everybody. No one escapes. There's a lady in Greenville, South Carolina, got a letter from the Department of Social Services. And uh, the letter said, your food stamps will be stopped on March 25 because our records indicate that you are deceased. May God bless you. You may reapply if your circumstances change. (laughs) It's like, woohoo, those circumstances ain't changing. Okay? Because that doesn't, you don't, you don't like check into the cemetery and go, you know, I think I'm done here. I'm going to let you know. No, it doesn't work that way. No, we're making light of it, but the truth is, this is painful and hard. Some of us right now are looking at empty chairs in our house every day that used to be filled with loved ones, but death has separated us. Or maybe you're staring at your own death. And it's getting real for you because of what's happening around you. This is why the Bible says death is our greatest enemy. The scoreboard reads death, 100 billion. Humanity, zero. So Paul says, Paul says, Timothy, you got to find your grit. And then if you look over there in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, here's here's how he comes to this. This is what he says. He says, for God saved us from that. And he calls us to live a good and right life. And he didn't do this because we deserved it, but because that was his plan, God's plan from before the beginning of time. His plan to show us grace through Christ Jesus. And what does that look like? Here's the grace of Christ. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Listen to this. Jesus broke the power of death. Your translation might say he destroyed death. He abolished death. He defeated its power. And Jesus illuminated, that means shines a light on, the way to life and immortality, meaning you can live forever. That's why it's called good news, y'all. God has a plan, and it's to send Jesus to overcome the power of death and destroy it and to illuminate immortality to a life that never ends that gives you hope and if you've got hope for tomorrow you've got grit for today that's the message he uses that word broke the power of death or whatever it's the word there the word there is destroyed and and it literally it pictures it pictures jesus in in hand-to-hand combat with satan and death and they go at it and it kind of comes to a head on good friday and satan sneaks one in and delivers 
Jesus drops his gloves, and, Jesus, and, and then Satan delivers what appears to be a decisive fatal blow. And it does more than break, him, break his jaw. It takes him down, and he doesn't get back up. Jesus died on Good Friday, didn't he? They put him in a grave, cold stone tab, tablet there, and they just laid him there and sealed it up, and he stayed there. On Friday night, he was still there, dead, lifeless. Saturday morning came around, he's still there, dead. Saturday night, he's still there, dead. Sunday morning, the son came up, and the father says, it's time for my son to get up too. And all of a sudden, through the power of God, those fingers began to unfold, and that chest suddenly <gasps> rose with air in it, and blood that was cold began to run warm through those veins. His eyes popped open and he sat up and he swung his legs over the side of that place he was sitting and he stood up and he opened the door and he's back and that's more than grit. That's a miracle of God. He walked out of there radiating life and it's never happened before. It's never happened anything like that before or after. Listen, there's been other resurrections like Lazarus, but guess what? Lazarus died again a few years later. Death came back and claimed Lazarus as his but that's different than Jesus. See, Jesus' resurrection was different. It wasn't a temporary reprieve. He destroyed death. He defeated its power, broke it down. Death will never again claim Jesus. He wasn't resuscitated. He's going to die later. He's alive and he's going to live forever. The scoreboard, death, 100 billion. Humanity, one. One. Now... Here's the cool thing. What Paul goes on to remind us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Christ's resurrection, when he rose again, it's a preview of what will happen to all who trust Christ because you say yes to Jesus, you put your hand in him, he pulls you right up out of your own grave in your own due time. All who trust in Christ will be raised from the dead. That's what it means to say he shone a light on immortality. He said, yeah, that's what you were really made for, immortality. That word immortality is, is the word, really it means incorruptibility. We know what corruption means and something gets corrupted. Incorruptibility means it doesn't happen anymore and all of the, the sort of curse that puts everything down and the second law of thermodynamics that makes everything go to pot, that all gets reversed. That's the promise of the future glory coming for those in Christ. Think about just the corruption that comes from death and sin and time. Just think about time. I got, I got bananas in my, in my kitchen right now. They're yellow. In five days, they ain't going to be yellow because fruit rots. And so do you, right? I got, a, I got a 2010 minivan. It was all shiny and nice when I got it, and now it's got rust on it. Our bodies, they start to bag and to sag, and we try to prop them up and suck them up and push them up and all that stuff, and it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't work. I want to show you a picture of a young man. Here's a picture of a young man, handsome guy, isn't he? That's my dad, about 73 years ago, okay? I didn't know him then. I knew him as a hardworking, he was a professor by day, studying, grading, researching, writing, meeting with people, and then come home and physically work you, under the, work you right off the farm, you know, just amazing. Could, you know. Here's a picture of my dad today. Um, he turns 90 in a couple weeks. All right? He doesn't look the same. He doesn't feel the same. 
He doesn't work the same. He's not the same because he's suffering the, the effects of corruption, corruptibility, just like, just like I am, just like it's happening to you. A series of blows kind of have a way of taking you down over the years. In fact, I, I had one of those apps, you know, where you put your picture in and it tells you what you can look like when you're old. You've seen those things? I did that to me. You know what? You want to see it? Here we go. You hang around here long enough. That's what you're going to be listening to right there. It's like, now where was I? You know what? When, I'm that, when I am that age and I get out of bed every morning and I get dressed, you know what I'm going to wear? Depends. Hey, we are all running down, okay? It's happening to you. It's happening to me. It's corruption. It's corruptibility. And the Bible is saying into that sort of darkness of that reality, Jesus' resurrection shines a light of incorruptibility and immortality. We're destined for something that doesn't look like the second law of thermodynamics. A comedian has a riff about this. I think it's funny. He says, imagine what, what, what life would look like if time worked backwards. He says, you know, we got, a, we got the life cycle all backwards. He says, here's how it should go. You should die first and get it out of the way. And then you live 20 years in an old age home and you wake up feeling better every day. Then you get kicked out when you're too young and you go collect your pension and you get a gold watch on your first day of work. See, everything works backwards. You work 40 years until you're young enough to enjoy your retirement. And then you go to college. You have a great time with your friends until you're finally ready for high school. And you go to grade school and you become a little kid. You get to play. You have no responsibilities. Finally, you go all the way back. You become a little baby. Then you crawl back in the womb and you spend your last nine months floating peacefully around and you finish up as a gleam in somebody's eye. You laugh and you think, but then you start thinking, wait a second, what if? And honestly, it's not far off. It's pretty much what the scriptures mean when it says What our destiny actually is, is no longer going to be death, but time is going to work backwards where in in eternity, in heaven, in glory with God, every day we're fresher and every day is brighter than the one before. And everything that's rotting and rusting is reversed and things get better with time. Fruit gets sweeter, clothes get cleaner, floors get, get better. You know, every morning in the new heaven and the new earth, my dad gets up and he can work and read and write and feel stronger and healthier and younger than the day before. And this, my friend, is what we're raised to experience immortality, which is incredibly powerful hope for the future of a world uncorrupted by sin and death and even time. That's why death is no longer an end in the road. It's a bend in the road. It leads to another place. Matt Proctor says Jesus kicked the end out of the tomb and the light from eternity now shines back in. That's the light of immortality. And that, friends, gives you hope. Death has therefore, as the Bible says, lost its sting. Death just doesn't scare us like it. So no matter what happens to you, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how bad it is, no matter what happens to you, you can come back and say, you know what? I'm here because of my future hope. I've got grit today. There was, uh, centuries ago, uh, an army that was invading a country, destroying everything in its path. They reserved their worst vengeance, especially for the Christians especially the leaders, the monks. They came into this one particular village, and when they got there, the leader of the village came out to the commander and said, all of the monks heard you were coming and ran in fear for their lives. 
The commander smiled, a kind of cold, wicked smile, because he took pleasure in how much fear and wickedness he, he had as a reputation. All except for one, the man said. That enraged the commander. He, he, was, in, he was just furious that one would dare. That. He stormed to the monastery, kicked the door open, walked in, and there in the courtyard was standing one lone monk. Serene, calm. The commander, big and with his military uniform, strode right up to him, stared him in the face and says, Do you know who I am? He says, I am he who can run you through with a sword without so much as batting an eyelash. Unaffected, that Christian man simply said, Do you know who I am? I am one who can let you run me through with a sword without so much as batting an eyelash. Who had more grit? Friends, there's a version of Christianity that's knee-deep. It's infecting this whole nation. But there's the real thing that's grounded in hope. Real hope. And I wonder if you believe it. If you could stand with that man and say what he said, even in the face of the worst blows life can give. Because if you can, you've got grit. That's way bigger than just sort of Something you need for an athletic contest. It's grit. This is why First Peter, verse, chapter 1, verse 3, Peter says this. They're getting the stuffings beat out of them. And here's what he says. He says, praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, now they've gotten bad stuff happening to them, but he says, praise and mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Not a future hope. It lives today. Why? To the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. All the corruptibilities gone for the hope we have. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though... Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer in grief and all kinds of trials. See that? You're going to have some stuff happen right now. But don't you, don't you take your eye off of the future because that is important for today. One of my favorite passages to illustrate this is what Paul said to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 18, here's what he says. He says, what we suffer now, and you are going to take some blows. You are. But what we suffer now is nothing, nothing compared to the glory that he will give us later. You see that? Can you feel it? He says, tally up, tally up all of the pain, tally up all the aging, all the Alzheimer's and all the aches. Just tally it up and tally up all the sickness and sorrow and suffering. Tally up all the divorce and the disease and the degradation. Tally it all up and whatever you come up with, it pales in comparison. It's nothing compared to the future glory and it's all going to sort of fade and, and give way to something so much better that's waiting for us. That's what's coming. Let's just say, give me an example here. Kind of use your imagination here. Let's say, let's say I'm up here sitting on the stage talking to somebody, and I got my hand on the, on, the, on the edge here. I'm just sitting here. And a big NFL football player comes up. He weighs 310, and he's wearing cleats. And he comes, and he just steps on my hand, kind of grinds it around a little bit. 
steps out. What am I going to do? Well, I can guarantee you, if you know me, I'm going to be whining about it. I'm going to be like, ow, wow, wow, ow, you, come on, man. I'm going to be like, ow, ow, ow. I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration for every sermon for a month. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to post it on Facebook. It's like, look what happened. This is terrible. Okay, now, but use your imagination here, okay? Here's my imagination. Um, go with me. I'm, I, I play in the NFL now. All right, I play, in the, I play for the Vikings, okay? I was going to use the Ravens as an illustration, but I, I, I don't have that much imagination. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. All right, so I play for the Vikings, right? And it's the Super Bowl. We're in, so go with me here. Imagine, imagine. We're in the Super Bowl, and I, as the star running back, have had a great game. I run for about 225 yards, and I also, they had to call me in to make some catches and kick a couple field goals. It's amazing, and I kicked a winning field goal, but during that game, man, I'm like banging it up. I'm getting knocked down and stepped on and bitten, and it's just, you know, it's terrible. It's awful, but we're just grinding. We're grunting, and we come through, and I kick the winning field goal, and we win the game. The place goes nuts. We're celebrating. We're so full of joy. The ticker tape's coming down. I'm there. They're carrying me around on their shoulders. I'm like, yes. Hey, bring me the check. You know, and they give me the trophy, the Lombardi trophy. And, and then I got the interviews and the money and, and all that celebration and that joy. And then in the middle of all that, the announcer comes and, and he asks that stupid question. Announcers always ask, like, how do you feel right now? Can you imagine if I in that moment said, well, actually, in the second quarter, this guy stepped on my foot, on my hand. He just he stepped right on <laughs> It's so bad. Look at it. Is that going to happen? It is not going to happen. As Joe Namath used to say, when you're winning, nothing hurts. It's not going to happen, friends. Because in that moment, the glory of what I'm experiencing makes nothing in the past even worth comparing. And the Bible wants to plant a picture in your spirit so that you will cling to that day of victory and that glory that's so much grander than any Super Bowl celebration is ever going to be, where we'll be united right with the presence of Jesus. We'll be united with others in the faith who've gone before us. We'll be united with every tongue and tribe and nation, with angels and creatures, and it'll be more fun than the most fun you've ever had. It'll be more awesome than the most awesome experience you've ever had on earth. It'll be the most fulfilling. It'll never end. You won't be bored. You won't be sick of it. And I sure as heck don't think you'll be flying around with wings on a cloud because you're going to have a great time and the beauty is going to be amazing and it's going to be fun and and you're going to be alive. You're going to be connected. You're going to be home. You're going to be at peace and you're not going to be complaining and you're not going to be whining because there are no more tears because the former life will be a distant memory faded out drowned out by the beautiful praise coming out of your mouth about how amazing it is that is your future that is your destiny that is our vision and nothing in this life compares to that so no matter how bad it is whatever ends up happening you can get back up again because you know what's coming with you live with that in mind future hope gives you grit today It really is a game changer, friends. Now, somebody will say, well, you can't be talking all about that pie in the sky by and by. It's like, well, you better. You better talk about what's coming later. Or you won't make it through today. That's the Christian vision. So Paul, Paul's in jail. And he ends this this letter with what has become one of my favorite passages in the Bible. One of my life verses, actually. 2 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. 
The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've remained faithful. And now, the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness with which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day of his return. And, he says, the prize, the crown, that reward is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Paul says, I, I, I don't got much time here. <laughs> I'm on my way out. Heaven soon for me. He says, I'm poured out like a drink offering. That image of, of in the temple where they took those, those big pitchers and poured out their offerings on the altar. He says, well, the pitcher's already been started. There ain't much left in my jar. He says, my time for my departure has come. It's an image from, from boating and ship, shipyards. It means literally to be loosed. Imagine a ship. Already the, the ropes have been untied from the dock. The anchor has been hoisted. He's about to set sail to another shore. I'm about ready to drift off, he says. And before he does, he looks back on 30 years of ministry. He says, you know, I fought it. I, I fought the good fight. I've taken some blows, but I, I finished the race. I, I did well. I exerted, and I've held on to Jesus the whole way, and now it's time for my prize. He's talking about the Olympic Games where they ran. They trained hard, but they ran. If you won, you got that crown. It was just a wreath. It didn't, it didn't value much, you know, in terms of money, but it, it, it meant you won. He says, I'm going to win. It may not look like I'm winning, but I'm winning. I'm going to get that crown. I'm going to get that wreath. And he says, uh, you know, the Lord, the righteous judge. I know the Emperor Nero is about to condemn him to death, but he says, that judgment isn't really my judgment. My judgment's coming from a righteous judge who's going to give me a crown, and I'm going to win this thing. And he says, and that's true not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. In other words, it's a reminder, friends, some people are not looking forward to their death because they're not ready. They dread facing God. They imagine shrinking in shame before him. But he says, for the believer who's, whose sin is covered by the righteousness of Jesus, man, you just, you eagerly look forward to that day. You set your heart on it. You live for it every day because you know when it comes, oh my, it's what we were ultimately destined for and it follows this temporary reprieve we call life on earth. Friends, listen, when you know that is coming, it gives you hope and hope is the key for your your grit today. My friend Brian Hug is finding his grit for today based on his faith up for tomorrow. Brian's here today in this service, actually. Uh, he grew up Catholic, tried a few churches, uh, just, you know, that kind of thing, but for the most part, their, their family was not really practicing or, you know, had a lot of spiritual activity going on, but a neighbor invited them to Mountain, and they came, and they loved it instantly, and jumped right in and said, it feels like home, and so their kids are plugged in. Here's a picture of Sarah, his wife, and, and Tyler, who's 11, and Lillian and Josh, who are twins, who are eight, and, uh, you know, he's an environmental scientist. Life was good, right? Summer day, 2015, um, he made lunch for the kids and took a bite out of a turkey sandwich, and he couldn't swallow it. Thought it was odd, choked it down with some water, didn't think anything of it. But it happened again the next day. And then the next day, it started happening a lot. And so finally went to the doc to get it checked out and said, it's probably nothing. But eventually they did an endoscopy where they stick a camera down there. And, and they came back, said the doctor's face was white as a sheet. And said, we found some stuff doesn't look right. We took some biopsies. And it was uh, New Year's Eve 2015. They called him to say, you have stage three esophageal cancer. 
So that, of course, his life changed overnight. Um, six weeks of intense, aggressive chemo and then uh, horrific radiation, blow after blow. Spring of 2016, aggressive, um, massive, complicated surgery, took out his esophagus, part of his stomach. Month and a half in the hospital, blow after blow. But, uh, you know, he got it under control, and for another couple of years, uh, things were under control. Spring of 2018, it came back. This time it was a nodule in his lung, so again, they went after it. A lot of uh, aggressive uh, radiation. They killed it again, but in the fall of 18, they said uh, another scan reveals five more nodules on the same lung. And the doctor said, you know, this time we can't just radiate that. We can't cut it out. In fact, there's nothing we can do. What you have is incurable. So, of course, prayers, prayers for miracles, prayers for healing, prayers for escaping death, as any of us might. You never know what God might do. But mostly, as you talk to Brian, will you see... He's, he's at where Paul was in 2 Timothy 4, where he's, he knows the time for his departure is near. And he's fighting the good fight. So they put their energy into having a good summer, which they did. Went to ball games, to the pool, to camp, and family stuff like that. Trying to lead a normal life before chemo starts again. When chemo starts, it won't stop until this is over. So he's working, coaching baseball, and trying to lead a normal life, get the kids settled into school. But the pain, he says, is getting worse. He can feel it every day. He knows the cancer is growing. His lung is already partially collapsed. And some likely going to have to start that chemo within a month and all that that means. The time for my departure is near, Paul says. And so physically, he says, I can't do what I used to do. Corruptibility is set in. And he can feel it emotionally. It's hard because he's in pain. He says, I, I am the guy that you see with a smile on my face. But there are times when I want to just curl up and cry. But something's happening. Brian came up to me a few weeks ago and he just said, that word grit. <laughs> I got to tell you about that word grit. He says, that word defines my life right now. Grit. He says, my days are numbered, but with God's help, I have found a gear I never knew I had. I somehow am able to push through things like, truck, like a truck through mud. I want to show my kids what godly grit looks like. That is my legacy. At this point, my life is all about grit, getting knocked down and getting knocked back up again, and, and, and how to per persevere and handle tough times with grace and dexterity. He says, I'm not brave. I'm just a normal dad who's trying to act brave. But if there's anything that can come out of my story that will provide someone else a renewed sense of grit, stability, and faith, then I'm all for it. We all get to decide what we want to leave behind in life, and we think about money or cars and stuff like that, he says. But what I want to leave behind to my kids, to my wife, to mountain, anyone, is a legacy of grit. He's got a faith in Jesus Christ. And so like Michael Jordan with the flu, he's playing hurt because he knows how this one ends. Like Muhammad Ali with a broken jaw, he's going to go the distance. Even if he gets knocked down, he knows the Lord's going to raise him up. Is it hard for Brian? <laughs> yeah. Does it suck thinking about chemo? Most assuredly. But his eyes on a prize 
that Jesus has for him in the future, and that is giving him grit for day by day by day. And it's the same grit a normal dad or mom or kid like you can have as well as you put your trust in Christ. So Brian, Brian's in exactly the same place that the Apostle Paul was in this letter when he said, my time for my departure is near, isn't he? Guess what? So are you. So are we all. Brian just has the benefit of knowing a little more about his timeline. But we're all in exactly the same place. And my advice to you today is to stop denying your mortality and pretending like you're going to live forever. And instead, call out to the only one who can save you. Jesus Christ alone who has defeated death. That's my advice to you today. Because then... And only then, according to everything the Bible says, only then can you be saved so that when you die and death starts holding you down, you won't stay down. You can also rise again to new life, new body, new heaven, new earth, new relationships, new future, and get better every day. That happens through Jesus alone. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you And that's right after he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. So, in other words, the fact that he's preparing a place for us, our future hope is what means we can have the grit of not being troubled today. Does that make sense? So the future glory is coming, friends. And whatever bumps and scrapes and bites and all the harrowing injuries of this life, when life stinks, when the circumstances are bad, when you don't know if you can go on another day, what you do is you keep your eye forward because your eye forward will put you with hope. And if you've got hope, you've got grit. God, I pray that you will help us to find the truth of these words anchored into our hearts so that whatever comes, like Brian we'll be able to find our grit because we know this isn't all there is. And so we thank you for Jesus who has gone to prepare a place for us so that we might not be troubled today. Help us each moment in our troubles and heartaches and sorrows and keep our eye on where we're going. And for the one who has not yet trusted Christ, Lord, urge them by the movement of your spirit that we might move toward you even this day. 